Good morning, brothers and sisters and friends, and welcome again into this virtual world of us. This is our second sermon, and like I said before, we don't know how long this will continue, but praise the Lord, He's not confined to spaces, and He's not confined to anything that man tried to, to keep God down. And I, I think it is an absolutely great opportunity for the gospel to go out via the virtual world. They can shut down uh, gatherings, but they cannot shut down the Word of God. Now, I'm excited this, uh, this morning because we're going to continue in our study in the book of Mark. But I want to start uh, a little bit on, uh, with a different angle. I want to talk to you today about looking unto Jesus. And we know the times we are living in if you walk in the streets if you drive in your car and you look at other people you can see that people are fearful you can see that people are uncertain we don't know what's going to happen if you turn on your tv you will see in spain and you will see in italy all of those horrible things that's happening if you listen to our politicians in australia all over the world everything has shut down who would have thought that it takes four weeks to shut nearly the whole world down? And this has happened. So in this uncertain times, we find a lot of issues, social issues, that has never been addressed. And this, more than other times, is the opportunity to turn our eyes upon Jesus. And for you and for me as children of God to do what God has told us to do, and that is to carry the light, to be the salt in this world, and to share His gospel. I, there's no doubt in my mind that this time people will turn unto Jesus. They will turn unto you for answers. And this morning I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about the topic today is looking unto Jesus. But I also want to apply to our study. I don't want to go away from the word. I don't want to be sidetracked from walking with Jesus through the book of Mark. We've learned so much already in the last months and, uh, and, and maybe it's nearly a year now that we're studying in the book of Mark. We've learned so much about Jesus just by following him. Just by seeing how he addressed certain issues and circumstances. And I want to continue that. But I want to use the topic today in our environment that we're in now to address things that comes close to your and my heart and things that this world will be looking for. So I want to start this morning with Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. If you please open up your Bible, you're uh, welcome to stop the video and open up there and follow in your own Bible. But the the writer of Hebrews writes this, this, he says, looking unto Jesus. Look, it is so wonderful to understand this concept, to look unto Jesus. And the Hebrew writer says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let those words just resonate with you for a minute or two. This is the word of God. This is the power of God. We look unto Jesus. And the Bible says he's the author. In other words, he writes into our spirit soul. He writes salvation into he's, he, he's the author of the faith. He is the 
the essence of the faith. But not only that, he's also the finisher thereof, of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where is Jesus now, people ask, in these times of trouble? Where is he? We can't find him. Well, I've got news this morning for all of those naysayers. I know where he is. The Bible says where he is. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And the right hand is the authority hand of God. It is the power hand of God. And what is he doing there? This is the great news, brother and sister. He is interceding for you and for me. And that is so fantastic. So all the Hebrew writer saying this morning in your circumstances is that we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon him because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul writes to the Philippians, to the church in Philippi, he writes the following, he says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I know there's uncertainty in the world. I know there's a lot of, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I don't want to know what tomorrow is going to bring. Because I've got hope in tomorrow. I've got faith in what Jesus is going to write in my faith, the author and the finisher. And, and so wonderful, the good work that he's begun in you. Oh, he says he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we are waiting for that day. So we are looking unto Jesus. So as we open up in the book of Mark, we're going to look at two people today who looked upon Jesus. And let us use them as an example in these times of uncertainty. Two people, and then we're going to see the power of Jesus Christ that He's got in their circumstances. Be sure that He knows your circumstances. He knows exactly your circumstances that you're in. And we will see that with these two people. So with that entrance, let's turn back to the book of Mark. And we're going to follow now uh, in Mark chapter 5. To this point, after Jesus spoke to the people in parables, we see that he comes and he shows and he follows those up with, with signs of power and authority. The first one was over the sea when the disciples were there and he calmed the storm. And we could see that Jesus has got power over nature. <laughs> what is a coronavirus for Jesus? If it comes out of nature, he has got the power over it. He is the vaccine. He is the vaccine to sin. But he's also the vaccine for our lives. So he had power over nature and he had power over demons. And today we're going to see that, that it's coming. It's going to hit home today because these two people we're going to talk to about today, we can relate to them. We can, and you will find that very interesting. Mark chapter 5 verse 21 says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great mother multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. He went back to Capernaum. In verse 22 he says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came 
Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet. And he begged him earnestly saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Listen to the desperation in this man's voice. My daughter lies at the gate or is so close of dying. Uh, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. There were so many people and they, they came so close and pushed. Uh, I could just see in my mind how the crowd would walk forward. Now in verse 25 we find a, a little bit of an intercession here. And this is not by chance. I believe it is designed the following that happens. Entering now is the second person into our narrative. He says in verse 25, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him and in the crowd and touched his garment. She touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made healed. See the desperation in this lady's life. People, we are talking about desperate times. Here is two people who were so desperate, so desperate. She come and she touched and she said, if I touch his clothes, I shall be made healed. Twelve years, twelve years walking with this infirmity in her body. In verse 29, he says, immediately, there's our, our word from a man, Mark, again. He says, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now think about this. A few verses before it says, people thronged upon him. They pushed so close to him to hear what he's going to say or maybe to see if he's going to do another miracle. Touch him, push him, move the crowd around. But he knew. He turns around and he asks this question. He says, who touched my clothes? And even, even the disciples is at this point in time a little bit baffled by this. Because look at their reaction now. But the disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? Hello, there's so many that touches you. You say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing that what happened to her came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. How wonderful is the truth? A setting a free he told the whole truth and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So a little incident that happened. Remember, Jesus is walking with Jairus. The crowd slows him down. This lady touches him. In verse 35, we pick up the narrative again of Jairus. Now he says, while he was still speaking, some came to the ruler of the synagogue uh, of the house who said, Your daughter is dead. 
What terrible news! Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken to the ruler, he turned to the ruler and said to the ruler, Do not be afraid, only believe. I like that. I absolutely love those words. I want to stop right now and I want to look you into the camera and say, in whatever circumstance you are, if this is the only thing that you take away this morning, is the words, not my words, but the words of Jesus Christ who says, do not be afraid, only believe. Only believe. In verse 37 says, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw the tumult, uh, tumult um, and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came and he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? Excuse me. You know, somebody could have said, Jesus, somebody died here. And he comes in and he says, what's this commotion? What's going on here? Don't you love how Jesus just knows exactly what to do at the right time? He comes in and he says, why this commotion? The child is not dead, but he's sleeping. And they ridiculed him. See how quickly a weeping turned into a ridicule. They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talita kumini, Talita kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, three times in this passage, we've had that word. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement, uh, weeping, ridiculing, amazement. This is what my Jesus do. And he can do it for you. Weeping, ridiculing, amazement. Uh, and in verse 43 it says, But he commanded him strictly that no one should know it. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. Now, I've heard so many messages about this passage. And I can really unpack it deeper and so on. But I, I just want to take you back to these two people. The two people with totally different backgrounds. And we're going to make a statement or a, learn a lesson from that. First of all, this woman with the, with the blood flow. We don't know much about her. We don't know her name at this point in time. And when we're in heaven one day, we might be introduced to her. And she can tell her testimony to you how wonderful it was. We've got the word now. And we've got the Holy Spirit who makes it alive to us. But how wonderful to meet her in heaven one day. We don't know much about this. We, where she comes from, uh, what a profession is. But there's a few things we can pick up on. She had the sickness for 12 years. Now, think for yourself. If you've got a sickness and you walk for that for 12 long years. It's not 12 short years. When there's an affliction... The years drag out. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you will. I've had people in my life saying to me, 
that this last year feels like an age. And I can understand because they had affliction in their lives. If this lady could sit here and, and testify to you tonight or today, she would be able to say, these have been long, 12 long years. So she had this. Now we know that she wasn't born this way because it was only 12 years. And we also know that she spent all of her money, all of her money on trying to get get healed. And and she went through a lot of difficult things. She most probably lost her job. And and by now, after 12 years, uh, might, might have been seen as an outcast of the community. Because you see, this thing of, of blood flow was deemed by, by the Jews as a unclean thing. And you can go and read all about it in Leviticus chapter 15. But if you had blood flow, you had to wait for seven days away from society because they believe that if you do have blood flow as a, as, a, as a woman and you touch other people, you've made them unclean. And you see, at the end of this period, what happened is you had to go through a ritual bath. It was called the mikveh, the mikveh bath. So if this continues on for 12 years on end, she had a terrible thing and a terrible desperation. The Bible says that she spent a lot of her money with different doctors to get healed, but they couldn't help her. They could not. All of her money was spent on this. Oh, but the good news, my brother and my sister, is this in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus. Take courage out of that. I don't know what you went through. I don't know what you're going through right now, but it might have been a year. It might have been two years. But when you hear about Jesus, He can change everything for you immediately. There's that word that I love. This lady, in her circumstances, heard about Jesus. And she came close enough to touch his clothes. And then power went out from him and it healed her. Now the question is you can ask how and why? And to be quite honest, we haven't got the answer to that. And only one day when we are with Jesus, we can ask him. How in the midst of the throng of people pushing down on him, so many people, a multitude, one person touches him. Power goes out of him to that lady. And she's healed. Now, let me be clear. This is not a start of a new thing where, you know, we pray over clothes. And, and you know, if, you, if I take this shirt off and you put this shirt on, you're going to get healed by the power is not in the clothes. No, no, it's much deeper than this. It's not that people are now going to desperately seek the clothes, all of the clothes that Jesus wore. And once you get one of those cloaks, man, that is such a powerful cloak. And, you know, it's, it's got magic if you put it on people. I know in the book of Acts, I know in the book of Acts what happened when Paul went out and handkerchiefs were laying on people. I know in this particular case is a similar case. She touched his, his, his clothes. So we don't know how it happened, but... 
we find some good ideas out of the Word of God. You see, the Bible explains itself. If we look at this, the hem of a garment were essential status symbols. And it was worn by rulers as an indication of their royalty. And listen to this one now, the authority. So rulers would wear their clothes and, and their clothes would be seen by this as their status as royal and of their power or their authority, I should say. So you put on the, the king's cloak and people would see you in the cloak. And the cloak will be a manifestation of saying that this is the authoritative person. Now, you say, where is the proof in the Bible? And I want to take you back to David. You remember when King Saul was trying to kill David. Uh, he was hiding from him in a cave. And uh, without knowing that David is in a cave, King Saul came into the same cave and he fell asleep. So uh, there in 1 Samuel chapter 24 from verse 1 to 8, David came close enough and he cut, he cut a piece from the cloak of Saul. What did it mean? Later on, David is actually, he feels bad about doing it. Don't read it in 1 Samuel. He actually feels terrible about it. Why? Because David knew that God anointed him to be king. But you see the the problem was the king was still on the throne. King Saul was still on the throne. And David, David wasn't going to overthrow him. He could have killed him. But he only cut his hem of his garment. You see, for this reason, it was the cloak of royalty. But it was also showing his authority. And that little thing that happened in the cave there was an indication that King Saul has lost his authority. His kingship authority. David cut that. We find another example of this in Isaiah chapter 6 from verse 1. And I implore you to go and read that passage. You should read that passage more than other parts. It says in the year of that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. This is Isaiah speaking. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. High and lifted up. Now listen to the next. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe. The rope of God filled the temple. What came into the temple? That Isaiah the prophet fell down as a dead man. He started saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst people of unclean. Immediately he starts repenting. Immediately. What caused that? The train of the garment of God filled the temple. The authority of God entered the temple. And where the authority of God is, there cannot be uncleanness. This is why he cries out like that. There is power. A wonderful power in the blood of Jesus. So, I'm not saying, by far not saying that this lady who walked through the cloud to touch Jesus had this in her mind. 
I'm not saying that. I'm not in, initiating that. I'm not saying that she, she read these passages that I gave you. We are so privileged. We can read and go forward and backwards. But the authority is what I'm coming back to. When she touched him and she had this need in her life, the desperation, the authority of Jesus Christ was there and power went out of him. Remember what I said a few weeks ago. Power without authority is abuse. Authority without, without power is weakness. Jesus Christ has got both authority and power. We see it here. She touched his cloak. Authority and power went out. How wonderful is that this morning to understand. Now let's quickly come to the second person, Jairus, and look at his life quickly. This is now a ruler of the synagogue. Totally different from this lady. See, most probably didn't have a, a job sitting around and asking for money to, to stay alive. She lost her whole livelihood. But this man, he's different. Different. Different society. He's the ruler of the synagogue. And the ruler of the synagogue was asked by the, by the elders. He was chosen by them to care for the physical arrangements of the synagogue, for the, um, the contents and, and the worship, everything. So he had a job. For a, for a starter. He had a job, but it was also an important one. He was in the synagogue. You could you can say he was he was the modern day pastor. People were looking at him, up at him. What was his trouble that he was in? What was his desperation? His child was lying on her deathbed. And that's terrible. Absolutely terrible. I don't know about you, but I can take it if I take a blow on my body and, and, and get sick. But if it hurts my children, it feels as if it hurts you double. And I've got grandchildren now. I mean, I just look around when they walk around and, and they come close to something that can hurt them. And I go, oh, watch out, watch out. And, and oh, don't eat your head here. And oh, watch out there. Why? Because we don't want to see our children get hurt. This is why we give them advice. So that they don't get hurt. We want to see that, that they grow up like us and be well. This man had a 12-year-old girl who was dying. 12 years old in the Jewish tradition was the beginning of their lives. At 12 years old, the, the boys would go in into their trades or go in and become a, a Pharisee in, into the synagogues. But girls would, would step up to the next level. And she was dying. That's desperate. Take your circumstances that you're in. It might be as desperate as that. You see, but desperateness has got a funny thing of, of generating fear. If it lingers too long, it generates fear. It hurts when it comes to your children. He comes to Jesus and he says, my, my daughter is gravely ill. Come, please come and help. And uh, Jesus take his time. That, you know, that wouldn't get me. I, I think about Jairus, the poor man. If it would have been me, I would have chased the crowds away. Say, go away. I'm the one with a need here. So think about this. I've got this need. Come, Jesus, come to my problem. Come and help me. On the way there comes this lady. 
Now, nobody has actually interviewed Jairus while this lady was there. I, I, I can see him tapping, tapping away. Come on, come on. But Jesus works different. He's got time for everybody. You see, it takes so much time. And then they come to him and they say, she's dead. That's final. But Jesus said to him these words, wonderful words. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Rem remember what I just said now. Faith or desperation will, if it lingers around, it goes into fear. And here we find in Jesus' words, those two again against each other. He says, do not be afraid. Only believe. In, in other words, he used it. Afraid is fear versus belief. Fear brings procrastination and a lot of other things. Faith brings hope. He says, man, have hope. But wait a minute. It is over. They just told me she's dead. But he says, have hope. This is how Jesus works. He says, believe. He gets there. And there's a commotion. Now, it says there the Talmud is there. And this is a group of people who comes around. And they, they just set the scene when somebody dies. They sort of bring, it's, it's, you know, you can say it's a few rented heads that comes in. And they're just wailing and crying and everything. And he walks over to them and he goes, she's not dead, but she's only sleeping. So why this commotion? And they become so angry at him. Now, let me just say something here. I just want to sport here for a minute and talk about this notion about soul sleeping. I don't believe in that. And that means that if you die, that your body goes into the grave, but your soul sleep and wait until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, no, I don't believe in that. Yes, they've used these words in, the, in, in biblical times. It is because if you sit with a dead person, it literally looks as if they're just sleeping. They can at any moment open up their eyes and say hi. That's physical. But we find so many, so many indications in the Word of God that if we die, the body goes into sleep. It goes into the grave. It looks as if you're sleeping. But the soul lives on. And the soul is not in a state of of, of mute the soul can still communicate let's just use an example in uh, in philippians chapter 1 verse 20 to uh, 23 let me just read this for you it, it's uh, paul writes here to the church in philippi in philippians chapter 1 verse 20 he says according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing i shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always so now also christ will be magnified in my body whether alive or by death now he says he will be magnified in my body whether i die or i'm alive for the to me for to me paul says to live is christ and to die is gain so he's not afraid of dying but if i live on in this place this will mean fruit from my labor so <laughs> he says look if you keep on living on in this body, you need to have fruit on your labor. And what fruit is that? Share the gospel. That's a different message, which, which I've preached so many times over. He says, I will, I will uh, uh, continue with the fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I can't tell whether I want to die or continue on. He enjoyed uh, sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel. 
but it's much better to be with Christ. But this is the telling verse. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to de depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, if he believed that the soul is going to sleep, what's it going to look forward to? Another 20 years of soul sleep before he sees Christ? No, he's got such a great expectation to see Christ immediately after he dies. And that's what I believe. It's a total different study, but I thought I'd just bring it in here. He takes this girl and he says, Talita Kumi, and, and she arose. That just means little girl, wake up and be alive. Now, I've showed you two people here. And what this is showing us is that trouble and heartache, it comes to everybody, doesn't matter who you are. You could be the king, you could be the ruler of the synagogue, or you could even be this lady, this poor old lady. Hardship and trouble is around enough. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. You can't have one person that says, I've got no problems in the world. Or heartache or desperation. Or all of anything. Oh, but these two people has got good news. They found Jesus. And that is so wonderful. Now let me end today to give you just a list of things that you might experience which they've experienced. These are only words, but I want to make it alive to you that they've experienced the word helplessness or helpless. Think about that word. Are you experienced it? Helpless. I don't know what to do. Think about the word weakness. I feel so weak in this situation. Think about giving up. I'm just about to chuck it in. Give it up. Just give it up. Poor old uh, Job. And I shouldn't say poor because he came out well at the end. But Job's wife said to him, give up. Curse God and give up and die. That's the notion. Give up. What about desperation? These two people had desperate. Well, they were desperate. I don't know how desperate you are, but they were desperate. They were truly desperate. These, these feelings that I just gave you, and uh, maybe you started to experience some of those feelings in your emotion when I say these words and you think about your circumstances. You see, there's one thing that addresses all of them, and that's the word faith. Faith addresses helplessness. It addresses desperation, giving up, weakness. Faith answers all of those things. But let me give you the definition for faith and I'll explain. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it says, For faith is a substance, a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word they used for substance is the Greek word hypostasis. And you'll see it coming up on the, on the screen below. Hypostasis. And hypostasis means that which was an actual existence. Think of the word now. He says, faith 
is the substance faith is that which has an actual existence now that gives some meaning to that word isn't it but it also has got another meaning it means the steadfastness of the mind the steadfastness of the mind so now faith is the substance it's an existence which gives you the steadfastness of the mind of things hoped for and the things of evidence of things not seen now let's take that and apply it to our study or, or these two people Jairus and this woman they felt helpless helpless but then they turned to Jesus they had faith enough to come to Jesus in these circumstances that helplessness of where am I going to get help to get me through this there was nothing there for them in their own rights she spent all her money he had the doctors in no doubt but they turned to Jesus the substance of our faith Jairus and this woman felt weak I mean, you can think about this woman feeling weak with losing blood so many times. And, and the word says, the Bible says that when she touched him and power went out from him and healed her, she knew immediately. I, I don't know, it might have been like a jolt of, of power coming into her or, or, or energy coming into her. She, she ain't feeling weak anymore. Why? Because he turned to Jesus. You see, this is what I mean. Faith answers all of these words. Helplessness. If you are helpless today, listen to me, brother, sister, dear friend, madam, sir. Don't matter what you want to be known for. If you feel helpless, the answer is Jesus. If you feel weak, the answer is Jesus. And then think about giving up. You know, others has given up. Why bother the master? She's dead. Give up. Twelve years give up and and no doubt no doubt that maybe you felt that you want to give up the answer is again jesus turn unto jesus look unto jesus we sang it in the song this morning oh the message today is to look unto jesus my dear friend and then what about desperateness they were so desperate. They came to Jesus as a last resort. And they found him. They found him. That's so wonderful. I want to leave you with this this morning. Jesus demonstrated he has power over sickness. And he has power over death. That big old one, death. He's got power over it. He's got power over nature. He's got power over demons. Who else do you want in your life? Where else can you go? But, but the one who's got power over everything. Everything. Again, I bring you Hebrews 12 too. Looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. He's already written your storyline out. And he knows how it's going. Have faith in him. You see, he has a word of faith this morning. He has that word of faith. In verse 36, he says, do not be afraid, only believe. That's a word of faith. I want to speak this word into your circumstances. Now, it is his words. 
I want to say to you what Jesus has said. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Hold on to him. He also had a word of hope. When, when the child was lying there and she was dead, he said to them, This child is not dead, but she sleeps. Maybe the word of hope for you today is the storm will pass over. I don't know what that word is. But implore upon him, touch his hem this morning. Cry upon him and say, Lord, what is the word of hope in my life? He will give that to you. Maybe you've already had the word of hope during the sermon this morning. But he has got a word of faith. He's got a word of hope. And finally this morning, he has a word of power. Oh, that excites me. He has a word of power. He took the little girl by her hand and he says, Little girl, wake up. <laughs> All the medicine. All the ointments. All the advice of man to this lady. She went to so many doctors, no help. But he has got a word of power. Three, a word of faith, a word of hope, and a word of power. My prayer is that God will keep you. He will keep you during this time. We don't know how the world's going to look tomorrow, a week from now, two weeks, three weeks. But do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but have faith. May the Lord bless you and may He keep you. And we've started the Bible study on Wednesday nights. I'm looking forward to see you all on Wednesday night. Uh, if you've got prayer requests, please email them to me. You'll see the email address coming up at the bottom. Give me a call. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your for your word, which is powerful. It's living and it's powerful. It is a discerner of the hearts. And Father, I pray this morning, thank you for your word this morning, your word of faith, of hope and of power. And I pray, Lord, that you will touch everybody who heard my voice this morning, look at this broadcast, that in their circumstances, Lord, that you will give them your word of faith in their lives, in these specific circumstances and desperation, your word of hope and also your word of power. I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And Lord, we worship you. Father, we pray over this coronavirus over our country, over our land. I pray for the protection, Lord, of our brothers and sisters and for people. Father, this is not from you, this disease, Lord. We just come against it in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless.